Welcome to B2B Marketers on a Mission, a podcast for change makers where we question the conventional, debunk marketing myths, provide actionable tips, think differently, disrupt industries, and take your marketing to a new level. From improving your campaigns to making you a better marketer, these are the inspirational stories that will help us change the way we think and approach B2B marketing one conversation at a time. This podcast is brought to you by I'm Black Consulting, helping you to stand out in the market and drive revenue to your B2B business. And now your host, Christian Klepp. Okay, welcome everyone to this episode of B2B Marketers on a Mission. This is the show where we help you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. This is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I am joined by someone on a mission to bridge the language and cultural gap in the U.S. market. So coming to us from Los Angeles, California, USA, Hugo Gomez, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much, Christian. Super stoked to be here. Really looking forward to this conversation, Hugo, because I have to admit, you know, I've been running this show for coming on four years, and uh, I don't think I've ever had anyone on talking about this specific topic. So um Really looking forward to diving into this. You run a very successful marketing agency. And let me see if I can get this right. You help attorneys to advertise to underrepresented communities in the U.S., uh, specifically around the, the Hispanic market, so Spanish speaking, right? So for this conversation, let's focus on the topic of how B2B companies can successfully market their products or services to the Spanish speaking market in the United States. But before I ask you a question, I'm just going to like, drop some figures here as I do. This article is a little bit data, but there was an article written in Forbes back in um, 2021. Okay. And so these were the stats. In the United States alone, 13% of the population speaks Spanish at home. So that's around, we're going to quantify that further. It's a little over 42 million. That's right. right. Spanish is also the most common non-English language spoken in the U.S. No big surprise there, right? Um. This one surprised me though a little bit. The U the United States has also the second largest population of Spanish speakers in the world. So Mexico is at the very top of that list, right? Now that we've stated all those facts, here comes the question to kick off the conversation. Where do you think, I mean, specifically with, with regards to the United States, where do you think businesses fall flat when it comes to marketing to a target audience that is predominantly Spanish speaking? Yeah, I think uh, this applies in both the B2C and the B2B markets, if you will. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's assuming that marketing to Hispanics is a language exercise rather than a cultural exercise. And it's assuming that it's a Google Translate exercise or that it's a, a function of having the Spanish-speaking employee, you know, whether that's an entry-level or a C-suite individual, sort of take responsibility of managing those communications. I, I think that's generally where most organizations we work with fall short, but it's no fault of their own. It, it's it's an, it's a fair assumption that if one knows the language, that should be good enough, right? But um, it, it generally isn't. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I remember you and I having this conversation uh, previously where I told you about my experience out in China. And that was the assumption, right? That if you, if you speak the Chinese language, then um, you're good to go. Um, there's probably nothing else that you need to worry about. And boy, <laughs> that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Right. So to your point about 
uh, there's a language barrier, then there's the cultural barrier. And it was something you said in our previous conversation. It's also the nuances because um, if I'm going to try to coin this phrase, not all Spanish is created equal, right? I mean, we we had that conversation about there's different uh, variants of the Spanish language. I mean, even if you just look at Latin America itself, correct? Yeah, like most Hispanics are, I mean, rather all Hispanics are not a monolith. So, right. you know, in, in national campaigns, uh, one needs to thread the needle when speaking to all Hispanics, because the reality is that most Hispanics, their value systems are defined by how they or their families immigrated to the United States, if they even did immigrate or if they have any history or a recollection of immigration. So I think that 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 says a lot about how I believe it, the the communication models can be quite different in South Florida versus that of you know let's call it Southern California. So uh, it, it's not just a function of you know trying to communicate to this vast market through language, but it's by understanding their culture uh, and and threading the needle to make sure that you're you're addressing as many Hispanics as possible while not excluding any of them. Uh, it, it is. It is. I. I would say marketing to Hispanics is just generally more challenging than marketing to the general market. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs and B two B marketers. Before we dive back into the conversation, let me introduce you to a game changer in the lead generation arena: lead feeder. Now, we all know the struggle of identifying those elusive website visitors and turning them into valuable leads. But what if I told you there's a tool that not only promises, but delivers on supercharging your lead generation and sales efforts? Enter Lead Feeder. Imagine having the power to identify companies visiting your website, track their behavior in real time, and seamlessly integrate it all with your CRM. Lead Feeder is not just a tool. It's your secret weapon for efficient and targeted lead engagement. What sets Lead Feeder apart? It's the ability to provide detailed insights into visitor behavior, helping your sales team prioritize efforts and close deals faster. With customizable notifications, lead scoring, and GDPR compliance, Lead Feeder is changing the game. Ready to revolutionize your approach to leads and deals? Then head over to leadfeeder.com for your free demo today. That's L-E-A-D-F-E-E-D-E-R.com. Don't miss out on the future of successful lead generation with Lead Feeder. I'm glad you brought up that point because that's a great segue to the next question. Common mistakes that you've seen marketers make out there, and you probably got hundreds of them. But, but let's narrow it down to like probably three to five of the top mistakes you've seen when it comes to marketers targeting the Spanish-speaking market. So what have they done and what should they be doing to address these mistakes? Yeah, uh, I think the first one is is defaulting to translation, right? And again, it, it's a very common approach, and it's very commonly understood as to why this approach is always t- usually taken. So let, let's put, for instance, um, a tax professional that wants to work with another business to acquire them as a client. Let's say that there's an emerging uh, Venezuelan market in New York of folks that are starting their businesses or have have matured their businesses over the last five, 10 years, that tax professional, if they themselves aren't Hispanic, might just want to throw a bunch of collateral in Spanish and just put together some flyers and say, hey, come see me if you need your tax issues resolved or if you want me to file your taxes. 
um, or if you have any questions about your business taxes. Very common approach. However, that's not generally a mistake. It's it's a mistake if you think that's your only option. If you really want to get involved in the community, you want to tell the community that that you work with immigrant-owned businesses. That's like doubling down on you understanding their story. It's telling folks that you know you support the the XYZ community that makes up that local community. I think that that's really strong when you when you when you vocalize it and when you explicitly say that you're aware of the changes in the markets. So I think that that's the the first mistake that's remedied quite easily just by being you know a little aware of what's going on in the market. And the second I think is defaulting to not leveraging you know marketing professionals that are aware of the Hispanic market. This is something that can be remedied. So for instance, let's, let's put another example with a tax professional. So let's say this tax professional has a receptionist, right? Or let's say a co-owner, right? Both ends of the entry level to the more seasoned professional spectrum. That that professional might, might just say, hey, I'm just going to hand off this, this project, this exercise of this you know Spanish social media post or this Spanish newsletter or something to the Spanish speaker and our designated Spanish speaker in the office. I, I generally think that's a huge mistake because unless they are themselves a seasoned marketing professional, that person's abilities are probably just going to be limited to translation. And again, this isn't just about translation. It's about it's about making a, an authentic push into a community so that you are a trusted agent of that community. And it's important to not just assume that someone who speaks Spanish will also somehow know how to market effectively to your local community. So I think those two are generally the the more common mistakes we see. Um, as far as the more nuanced approaches, you know, we, we see um, rather not not so much the nuanced approach. The more egregious errors are assuming stereotypes. We see this less and less each year. Each Cinco de Mayo, I, I I would be lying to you if I if I said I didn't see a mariachi or a taco celebration or a margarita office party, you know. Which, you know, it's 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 up to you whether you can tolerate that kind of that kind of communications. But generally speaking, again, not all Hispanics are monolithic, and to the point about Cinco de Mayo festivities and and using. Um, stereotypes to to try to communicate that you're part of the Hispanic community. I think that's an egregious error that I just generally wouldn't even recommend working in that universe of of, of thinking. There there are just more intelligent, much more sensitive ways to market to the community without defaulting to these tropes. Those are some really, really great points. And thanks for bringing those up. I just wanted to quickly go back to like, uh, for example, point number one. Mm -hmm. uh, just from your own experience, the defaulting to translation, how often do you see, especially now, I mean, it's almost an unavoidable subject, but how, how often do you see people defaulting, not just to translation, but to AI translation mm -hmm. to, to, to just get this over the hill because they think it's quicker, it might save them a bit of money, but in the end, it, it all somehow comes crashing down because, big surprise, AI translated it the wrong way. Um, they probably translated it that it looks like Spanish, but no Spanish speaker would ever say it that way, for example, right? Yeah, precisely. Yeah, I mean, it happens more often than not. Mm. Um, 
there's a lot of chatter that you know ai is sort of the the end all be all to all solutions but you know we've seen it as language tools it's just not there It, it totally understands translation and it's actually getting better in assessing how humans actually talk so natural language Um, I think it's actually getting a lot better, but we've, yeah, I mean, we're always on the pulse of what tools are available because admittedly, we also want to find out ways to reduce our own costs internally to, to do this, uh, to do this kind of marketing effectively. We've yet to find one. Google translate is always getting better. They're sort of like the leading name in translation. They're, they're getting a little better in natural language, um, uh, a translation, but We've yet to see even even OpenAI's tools. They're just not there. I mean, the direct translations work, but to give an example of how um, this could be super effective, and let's say for for I'm going to kind of switch things over to B two C for a moment. If a dentist that is marketing to a largely Dominican Republican community uh, wants to say that hey, we also also service you know Hispanics in the market. We have a bilingual friendly staff. Um, bilingual friendly hygienists, dentists, et cetera. It's not enough just to say that we speak Spanish. Like what you really want to say is we'll work with you regardless of your insurance policy and regardless of your documentation status. Because a lot of folks that are in the United States may or may not have their documents yet or they're in the process, or maybe they just don't want to disclose those things, right? And so there are, there are ways to be more direct um, in terms of uh, the copywriting, however, that needs to be written by a human. Like I can't tell, uh, I can't. I don't know what prompt I could write to a, any AI tool that would produce that kind of copy output, right? And it's because that's such a cultural nuance that only a human could know. Do I believe that at some point AI will get better to the extent that it will know how to tweak things for? local, regional, cultural nuance. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer. I, I'm a I'm very pro-tech. And so I think it will eventually happen. It's just not happening right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you know, going back to those those other two points that you mentioned, I mean, I, I absolutely agree that, you know, it has to be it has to be done by a human, but not just a human, but somebody that's also an expert in that field. And I believe that was your point, right? I mean I saw I saw this happening out in China, and you've seen that in your field of work that you don't just you can't just rely on the intern to post something on social media because they happen to speak the language, and then it all you know then it all falls flat. But even more dangerous, which I think is also a, one of your other points, is um, you could get into some serious legal trouble if yeah. that translation is not accurate. And just because somebody speaks Spanish, that doesn't necessarily make them a qualified. Uh, not, not not even a, a lawyer, just qualified to be able to give an opinion on the piece. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially if you're in a vertical that has, you know, rules of professional conduct in advertising. Right. Um, probably more stringent in the legal and medical verticals. But, you know, we see this in financial circles, you know. Um, in, yes. In, we see this everywhere, that there's just more rules and more regulations on how you can, you know, communicate anything to a consumer or a, the end buyer. So uh, I think that's going, that's, that's only going to get more difficult. So yeah, it poses a risk to your business. If you, you think that copy or marketing copy is sort of like a trivial aspect of your business, it could actually be something that takes down your business overnight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, of course we all hope that, that that never happens, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Moving on to the next question, and this is kind of like a bit of a combo here. What roles do multicultural best practices and data play in your field? The best way to get multicultural best practices is by deferring to the data. You, you, they, they are exclusively chained to one another. So uh, I'll mention, um, for instance, if there's a, let, let's use a bank, for example, that wants to work with other small businesses. This is especially true for the much larger banks that aren't just regional, that they're nationwide. The best thing to do is defer to census data on a local level to find out what the immigrant makeup is of your local Hispanic community. And so with that understanding of what that makeup is at the county level or um, the statewide level, or even on the city level, if you're in a huge metro, you can design entire campaigns just for that community. And we're seeing it right now. Um, I, I can't disclose certain companies that are, are that that are aligned with that are doing this, but it's taking the actual population data, gross population, and finding out how to craft messages just for them. And what we're finding is that very few of those campaigns work nationally. Generally speaking, you want to run hyper-focused digital and traditional campaigns that are quite local in order to get buy-in to the community. So I, I find that that's the, the relationship between best practices and data, is that you want to look at data as the starting point, rather, for these best practices. The starting point is the census data that's publicly available. And of course, as, as these campaigns mature, you can get into more like behavior segmentation and sort of like uh, repurchasing behavior down the road. But it does really start with understanding the local immigrant makeup. Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are really great points. And, and um, that's such a great way of looking at it, that you use the data to understand how you can, maybe custom tailored is not the right word, but like to have targeted campaigns. Yes. Specifically for that demographic. Because again, not all Hispanics are created equal. Absolutely. They probably, they might even have different purchasing behaviors, um, decision-making behaviors. They They might have so, some parts of their buyer's journey are similar, but others are different. And yes, the data might help you to like understand why. Yes, right? absolutely. Like mm -hmm. you can, if you can understand what the, the the ethnic makeup is of your local community, you can find out what percentage of ex Hispanics came from countries for where there are more visa or immigration privileges with the United States. Um, whereas on the flip side. Where are those immigrants that probably don't come from countries that don't have th those said privileges and might be more conservative with their savings, might be less likely to invest, might be less likely to start businesses? I mean, like I mentioned earlier, how you come into the country will dictate your value system. It'll dictate um, your likelihood for generational wealth. It'll dictate us all sorts of aspects that we sort of take for granted, you know, living here in the United States. And I do have to put an asterisk that I know I'm talking a lot about immigrant Hispanics. Um, that's largely where um, a lot of my expertise falls in line. Um, however, you know, with Hispanics at large, um, we find that even multi-generationally, rather generations after, a lot of these values, um, while not exclusively inherited all the way through, a lot of these values are carried through multi-generationally. Absolutely. Okay, Hugo, we come to the point in the conversation where we're talking about actionable tips, and you've given some already, right? 
And I'm going to throw in this caveat um, just to say we got to appreciate that a lot of the things that you and your agency do, these aren't things that you can do in 24 hours, right? A lot of this takes time. Uh, that said, uh, if somebody were listening to this interview between you and I that is facing the situation and they need to act upon it immediately. So what are like top level, like three to five things that marketers can do right now to and I think it was the point you made in the previous conversation to experience incremental success in marketing to Spanish speakers in the U.S. Right. I, th I think there's three that come to mind and they're very technical, uh, depending on, on, on your level of experience. It, it, they're all generally technical. I think the first thing to do is, especially in the B2B space, you want to have at minimum a page in Spanish. A dedicated page doesn't need to be a fully translated website. You should leave this as sort of as like a, your proof of concept for receiving traffic in Spanish and seeing how the consumer you know behaves on said Spanish page. You want that written by a marketing professional. You don't need to engage with an agency. You can engage with a, a local Hispanic or uh, Hispanic marketing expert copywriter to help draft. Let's call it like a one sheet, a tear sheet, uh, a one pager uh, uh, page on your site that is only meant to convert Spanish speakers who visit said page. So that's sort of like, let's call that the destination. We're talking total costs to put this together, less than $700, more or less. Let's just say $500 for copy, design, the deployment of this page. Then let's uh, run some Google ads. Um, this is where OpenAI or Chat, Chat GPT is amazing. We actually deployed this strategy. Um, let's use banks, for instance. Um, so let's say that a bank wants to uh, market to again to small businesses for um, let's just say SBAs. You know, um, we will tell Chat GPT, "Hey, Chat GPT, here are ten keywords in Spanish, or rather, ten keywords in English, like phrases." that we know English speakers search for when they look for SBA loans. Give me different variations in Spanish. And it will give you a quite de pretty decent output of keywords. So when we're talking about AI translation, uh, for like these kind of one-off tactical, technical outputs, ChatGPT is quite good. So we like that. So to ask ChatGPT for a Spanish set of keywords and then upload those keywords to... Uh, a simple performance max Google ads campaign, run however many ad dollars you want to it. Presumably, you'll be the only one running ads to Spanish speakers with that list of keywords. Uh, similarly, the, the third point I want to make is uh, on in Spanish, you, you want to run some Spanish uh, social media ads. Uh, Spanish speakers over index for mobile usage, for video consumption on streaming videos, and have a high trust factor in social media uh, communications, including advertisements. So I think those three, as long as they're pointed to that Spanish page that we just discussed earlier, you're probably ahead of 90% of most organizations, especially in B2B, that are trying to make a concerted effort to be in front of Spanish speakers. Yeah, I know those are some really great points. And just to recap, so the first one was have a, at least one page in Spanish uh, run Google ads and then run Spanish 
uh, social media ads, right? Exactly. And I, I would assume also for your first point, like to have that page in Spanish, obviously that gets funneled to some location in the back end of, of the you know the company system. And there has to be somebody that has that capability to be, to be able to answer those inbound inquiries too in that language. Correct? Oh, great point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if you have form fills or phone numbers, yeah. yeah, make sure someone's responding to them in near real time. Um, yeah. One other point about the the, the dedicated page, um, put it on the on the navigation clearly on, yes. on your website at the very top, yes. and it shouldn't say Spanish because assume that the person doesn't speak any English. Espanol. You want, you, you want to put it in Espanol? Haz clic aquí para Espanol, yep. or se habla, se habla Espanol. Like you want to put that super explicitly so that if that Spanish dominant speaker comes to your site. They see that link, they'll know exactly to click there without any real confusion. So yeah. we just want to make sure that the, the the person who's reading your site that speaks zero English, which does happen, has a great, easy, non-restrictive way just to, to learn more about your company. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Moving on to the next question, give us an example of how you help the company reach out to a predominantly Spanish-speaking customer base. and. Uh, you don't have to mention the company's name. Sure. Um, so I'll I'll speak more to the. I, I can speak to both B two B and the B two C side. Okay. Um, and I originally came from like commercial finance, um, so a lot of heavy equipment um, loans, so to speak. And there's a huge market of Spanish dominant business owners that need loaders, tractors, lifts, you know, trailers, you name it. Yeah. And they oftentimes, like most business owners, need financing to, to acquire the, these massive, you know, pieces of equipment. Oftentimes the loan value was about $30,000. And it was such an obvious play to, to say, hey, let's, let's kind of find a competitive edge here by reaching out to these over-indexed mobile users who are Spanish-speaking, by providing them loan options or loan advertisements on their phones through social, because we know no one else is doing it. Uh, the, the, the B2B loan space is extremely competitive on Google and in, in, in English, um, super high cost per clicks, thus you know crazy high acquisition costs. So we were able to undercut the market a little bit by finding clients, rather buyers or borrowers in Spanish. So that, you know, I, I can't speak to its percentages, but where I used to work before I started my own companies, um, that was that was a significant lift to the business. It was just addressing the reality that there are a lot of Spanish speakers who may be bilingual, but prefer to speak in Spanish, who are comfortable working with a loan provider that spoke directly to them in Spanish. I think that is... It's, it's a great story. It's really fun to describe because it, it's not a market that that one would associate to having a lot of Spanish speakers in it. Um, secondly, in, in the B two C, like I can speak to the legal space, um, and it is B two B parallel because we're helping a legal, rather a law firm, grow by means of of consumer share. Um, there are tons of of attorneys in our program that have attorneys who don't speak any Spanish, but understand the market potential of reaching out to Hispanics. You know, admittedly, we've grown firms from, you know, let's call it low six figures to definitely low to mid eight figures in a matter of a couple of years. 
And it's because they've trusted the process. They've trusted that it's not necessarily our companies that doing that's doing a bunch of magic. We don't have any black box or or secrets here. But what we do have is just a lot of trust in the data. We trust that the market population, if you if you invest in Hispanics, they will see your message. They will commit to your message, especially if you're the only one in a major metro area that's attempting to communicate with them authentically. So yeah, in B2B and B2C, it's it's I, I kind of sort of see I sort of see them the same now because the market potential is just there. It's it's waiting for someone or an organization to speak to that community authentically and directly. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, obviously that's an incredible achievement, you know, the way that you help these companies to grow. But it's also back to your original point was to identify that niche, yeah, niches, plural, and to, and I think um, something that you've done quite well is identify that unmet need. And for you, it might have seemed so simple. Okay, they don't have someone that speaks Spanish or, you know, you've got these, this, this group of like, construction companies or uh, contractors who while bilingual might prefer to be uh, able to converse with somebody on the uh, service provider and in their own language and that's definitely an unmet need that that needs to be addressed right yeah and i think we we barely scratched the scratching of the surface like really yes. like there's, there's so much potential here it's, yeah. it's you know hispanics are going to be 40 45% of the market mm. by 2050 so especially if you're a legacy business, like yes. this is all you should be thinking about Absolutely. in terms of uh, finding scale, you know, aside from managing the, the business as it exists today, you know, if you're a legacy business thinking about the next 10, 20 years, this should be a no bias of our own because we don't work with every organization in B2B, but this should be the most important pressing thing that you should be investing in for the, for the next generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Hugo, uh, get up on your soapbox here. <laughs> what is the status quo in your area of expertise that you passionately disagree with and why? The most common conversation in multicultural marketing, even within the agency community, is that the Hispanic market is incremental is, is meant for incremental growth. When we're talking about the Hispanic market in the United States, that makes up one out of five persons in the United States. I don't think one out of five persons in the United States is incremental, right? And that it does that 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 incremental marketing doesn't require nuance. the The U.S. Hispanic market falls by our definitions in our organizations under three buckets. It's English dominant, Spanish dominant, or bilingual slash bicultural. There are a lot of case studies that we have of copy that's written just for English speakers and just for Spanish speakers that identify as Hispanic and examples of copy that use both Spanglish as it's known that work really well. So it, there, there's two things that, that that we disagree with is that the Spanish or the Hispanic market is Spanish dominant only. It's much more nuanced than that. And that 
if you want to market to Hispanics, that it, it, that it is somehow incremental. It's not. It, it's again for the most serious organizations. I've spoken to a few, you know, marketing leaders in, in the Fortune thousands. They're obsessed with this topic. They actually don't work with any agencies that even use the word incremental in the conversation of Hispanic markets. So to me, that's really I'm really optimistic about that because it's addressing the reality that this isn't just you know, a way to get new business above and beyond what you're currently doing. If you're really thinking about significant market share, you have to think about a Hispanic market is sort of core to your business in future state. So um, because if, if you don't think about it, someone else is going to, you know, whether it's through an agency or or their in-house um, kind of mindset, they're going to figure it out. So I think th those are, I couldn't distill it down to two, or rather one, so I had to pick two. That's okay. But uh, those, those two absolutely kind yeah. of speak to uh, where where we stand on our soapbox quite often. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to oversimplify what you've just said, Hugo. But Please. I yeah, I tend to overcomplicate it. No, I, I, I just think that assumptions are, are such a dangerous thing to begin with. Um, in my experience, they become even more precarious when you assume things about another language and culture, right? Because that can that can lead companies down a path where they not only lo lose money, but they could also fail sp spectacularly in, in terms of targeting specific demographics. Right? The, the failures don't have to exist as long as you defer to other Hispanics about these these channels. Yes. Now, um, the, there's there's a fine line between. Rather, I'll just leave it at that with my last statement. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. And now here comes the bonus question. Now, I really, I, I thought about this long and hard. Okay. So you're, you're clearly bilingual, English mm -hmm. and Spanish. Okay. So we've dropped a couple of statistics at the beginning of the conversation. Now allow me to drop just one more. Okay. For the sake of uh, this next question. Right. So according to research conducted by the Pew Research Center, 54% of people that were interviewed said that they cannot speak Spanish fluently, even though they are Latino, right? So the assumption there, I mean, it might it might fall into a couple of buckets, right? The assumption there is that they're probably already, they've been in the United States for several generations already. Um, they're more American than anything. Um, they might be the children of immigrants who have been, you know, through, through the school system, et cetera, et cetera, right? And now they've they've become adults, and it might even depend on which industries they eventually enter. And they're working in fields where Spanish is uh, not necessary, right? So my question to you, as somebody who's bilingual, and you know clearly you're very passionate about the Spanish language, what would you do if you could, if you had the power to make it make a change, right? Based on the statistic I just gave you, right? Um, we're not even talking about the decline of the language. It's not the decline, but it's just that the, the probability that more and more speakers might grow up eventually just becoming monolingual. So what is the one thing that you would do to convince these people of the benefits of bilingualism, whether it's professional or personal? If there, if you had that one superpower, right? To, to, to convince to other organizations, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's a great stat. And the, there again, as always, there's always nuance, right? Yeah. There is a part of that, I believe it's the same study, 
Um, mm. I got this from the book Hispanic Market Power by Isaac Mizrahi, which I've been selling this book on his behalf like crazy. Okay. I have no participation in this book. He's yeah. just a friend of ours. Right. Um, but he he has some amazing stats on this on on language usage. Mm-hmm. And even though uh the majority um don't speak the language, um there are no signals that it's going away. Actually, the folks that can speak it uh, use it more often than not at home. So that suggests that the language is more than likely here to stay in perpetuity, barring that there's no cultural event that nullifies the use of Spanish language in the United States. So that's the good news there, that it's it's all trends point to that it's here to stay. However, with even with that 54% cohort that speaks very little, if any, fluently, um, a decent percent, I think it's 70 to 80% respond to any organizations that acknowledge the fact that they are Hispanic. That is why I think the assumption that language and not culture being so important is generally false. It is a cultural exercise, not a language exercise. It just so happens that in the cultural exercise, you may use Spanish or you may use English or you may use both. But the acknowledgement, and this happened post-2020, the trend actually reversed after 2020. I won't get into why because that's a whole other conversation. But after 2020, the there was a massive trend reversal, especially with Gen Zers, um, that declared overwhelmingly that if a company speaks to them as a Hispanic, even if they don't speak that much English or that much Spanish, that they will more than likely defer to that company or respect that company or just have more affinity to that to that organization. I think that's that, that it's like so nuanced, right? And it's it's not monolithic, but yeah. I think it speaks to how much there is yet to be learned about this Absolutely. cohort. It is um it's it's just more complicated than the general market. That's just what we find. It's just more complex. Yeah. But absolutely. the opportunity is there. All the all the numbers point to the 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 opportunity absolutely staying and remaining, regardless of language adoption. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the those are those are definitely a very interesting statistics. And I think it's going back to what you said earlier. Um, it, it, it is a nuanced thing, but I think it's also it it, it speaks volumes of like where we see all of this going eventually and how this how this um this call it what you will behavior or trend is going to evolve in the years to come that people are readily embracing not just their a linguistic identity but also their cultural identity yes right yes which is way more important to most uh persons of color than whatever language they speak it's it's really just like the the acknowledgement of the background the ethnic background Absolutely. Absolutely. Hugo, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, for sharing your experience and expertise with the listeners. I mean, I, I had I, I had a wonderful time. I mean, this was such a great conversation. Um, please, a uh, quick intro to yourself and uh, how folks out there can get in touch with you. Yeah, Christian, this is awesome. Thanks for asking such, you know, nuanced questions and, and um, yeah, re- really going beyond surface level. I really appreciate that. Uh, my name is Hugo E. Gomez. I'm the founder of Abogados Now and Doctoras Now. Uh, these are a- agencies helping uh, the medical and legal verticals uh, market their practices 
to Hispanic speakers, rather Hispanic persons across the United States. We're nationwide. Uh, and um, we also operate under Hente now, G-E-N-T-E-N-O-W.com, which is our uh, the the wing of our business that deals with everyone else outside of uh, the legal and medical verticals. So if you're looking to uh, tap into the Hispanic community and on the B2B or B2C level, uh, feel, feel feel free to reach out to me I'm at Hugo at Avogados Now. Um, you can also, I encourage you to please like really talk to other multicultural professionals across the U.S. We're, we're a growing community. Fantastic, fantastic. And um, let me see. I've, I've I've been practicing this before uh, before we um, hit record. But um, <clears throat> a próxima vez nosotros hablamos en español solamente. Oh, sería bien. Gracias, Cristian. <laughs> I promise you, I'm, I'm going to brush up on my Spanish at some point. <laughs> That's great. That's good. <laughs> but in the meantime, um, Hugo, thank you so much for your time. Take care. Stay safe, and talk to you soon. You too, Christian. Thanks so much, man. Talk soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. <laughs>